talk to me about rock and roll. I'm out there in the clubs and on the streets, and I'm living it. I am rock and roll. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. And there used to be a way to stick it to the man. It was called rock and roll. But guess what? Oh, no. The man ruined that, too, with a little thing called MTV! Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? because I listen to pop music. Hello everyone and welcome back to On The Record. This is episode three, finally. Wow, yeah. like to space, space them out, I guess. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is Boys and Girls in America by The Hold Steady. That's right. We've been having this one on the docket for quite a while now. Indeed. And this also counts as Give Us a Second, number 29. Yes, we are still doing On The Record. I know the last episode was way back in March. Yeah, despite complete lack of interest. By I've... both us and any potential <laughs> listeners. Same. Yeah, I think we've probably talked about this in the previous ones and maybe at various points when On The Record is brought up. But you just reach a certain age and music means a lot less than it used to. There was certainly a long period of time in my life where I would get like emotional reactions from music and it, I, I just don't anymore you know what i mean i mean i don't really get emotional reactions to anything anymore. just sitting up in your room sad. but listening back to this album Disc getting man. ready for this episode certainly brought back some memories of when i got emotional about music the hold steady is certainly a band that i still care about as much as i possibly could care about a band at this point in my life so minimal at best yeah but they at least register somewhat <laughs> So far ahead from most of the competition. <laughs> yeah. And I came to the Hold Steady party pretty late in the game. Oh, same. I can tell you how they even came on my radar. It was certainly well after this album came out, because this was a, what, 2006 release? Yes. They weren't on my radar at all until 2009. I saw a Mark Hoppus tweet speaking about both the Hold Steady and the Dirty Projectors, and he was kind of raving about both bands. And I went and <laughs> downloaded a bunch of both bands' music and <laughs> became fans of both of them. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's weird, like, how music even gets on your radar at a certain point. Yeah. stuff. That's, it, I mean, certainly not like the whole studies on the radio, really, anyway. But, I mean, most of the time I, I would get into bands by just, like, hearing them in, like, movies or something. I came upon them around the same time period. It was one of those situations where I had a brand new iPod and I uploaded like a whole collection from somebody else like just a massive music collection oh yeah and they were a name that i was familiar with although i had never listened to them and so eventually i got around to trying out this album actually same yeah i started with this one and i believe around that same time period almost like simultaneously i was buying a lot of vinyl records and so i bought the new one stay positive which had just come out i believe around that time yeah yeah so i was listening to that and boys and girls in america and then you know later went back and it, and found their first two and all that stuff well yeah you were talking to me about this the other day but they, they really were like just pumping out albums for a while though yes their first album almost killed me came out in 2004 i believe and then Separation Sunday, their follow-up was 2005, and then this was 2006. 
So right. yeah, and I think part of it is because they had been around for a while before they formed as this band. Craig Finn, the lead singer and frontman, was in Lifter Pooler for a while, and they were older. Oh yeah. So they had all of this built up. This is almost the ideal scenario because it's not like you're sitting on one album's worth of material in your mind. Even if you haven't put it all to pen to paper, True. written the notes. A lot of ideas out there. You have so much material building up, and then by the time you finally get that chance to let it all go, you're right out of the gate with three albums. And I think based on this album in particular coming out on Vagrant Records, which was like a pretty big oh, yeah. indie in the day, they just missed Alkaline me. Trio was on Vagrant. Yeah, it was the domain of a lot of the emo bands, pop punk, punk bands of the early 2000s. And had this album come out like a couple years earlier, I would have definitely have heard it earlier. Oh, right, yeah. Because I was very much into those labels like Vagrant and Victory and all that shit a few years earlier. Like, I wouldn't have missed it. But by the time 2006 came around, I wasn't as deep into that scene anymore i well, guess these guys definitely had a little bit of shades of the emo genre but certainly stylistically and the writing isn't really no 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 but i was just at a time where i sure the fact yeah, that them right. being on vagrant i would have come across them way earlier yeah, yeah. had i still been involved with vagrant by 2006 anyway before we get lost let's remind our listeners to follow the show on twitter at creators pod Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and just keep getting that word out there. I mean, most of the time we're talking about movies and TV, not music, but, but we we're giving this a shot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> We're sticking with it. I was thinking to myself, too, like, we actually did go to a Hold Steady show. That's the only time I've ever seen them live. Which we've often used shows we've gone to as material for, the, for this show. Yes. But uh, I don't know that there was anything memorable from it. Not no. that it was bad, but it was just sort of a, yeah, we just went, they played a bunch of songs, then we went home. Right. I remember it was really snowy that night. Yes. I remember having a terrible drive home. Like, the highway was covered in snow. Yeah. But, and I also remember we ate at, like, the nicest bar in Millvale beforehand. Grant Bar. Right. I think, uh, <laughs> and that's funny that the show was in Millvale, and these songs, and the characters within the songs, it's very... Millvalian to me. (laughs) I'm sure every city in the country, in Pittsburgh in particular, would probably have multiple neighborhoods. It's almost like every area of a city has that area that most relates to hold steady lyrics and stuff. And Millvale is certainly that area, which is where we saw them. Okay, so Boys and Girls in America by the Hold Steady is their third studio album. It's the first on the aforementioned Vagrant Records. It came out October 3rd, 2006. The title of the album comes from a quote. Do you know where that quote is from? I do. (laughs) It's the novel On the Road by Jack Kerouac. That's correct. The narrator at one point, his name is Sal Paradise. He says boys and girls in America have such a sad time together. Although I'm thinking. Goes on and talks about other stuff. I've never read the book for obvious reasons. Right. The main one being I can't read. Yeah. (laughs) I would think as the narrator, how often do you hear his name in the book? I guess they're addressing him Sal, right? Yeah, I don't remember specifically. I mean, it could have been a case where at some point it says, my name is Sal Paradise. True. It's very possible. <laughs> uh, I actually remember seeing the movie with Kristen Stewart. Yes. And it, it certainly the movie wasn't quite what I was expecting. 
since you had read the book, I'm sure it was a little bit more what you thought it was. Well, the book is, you know, the, very long, and it it goes on to all these different places and all these different people. So I, I mean, I don't think the the movie was like a great yeah. representation, but it's one of those things that's kind of unadaptable. Okay. So I mean, yeah, I mean, they I did just, what they did, but it there's just, it just goes on, it rambles on forever. I mean, ever, I, ever. I, I just never would have expected <laughs> Kristen Stewart like giving hand jobs to two dudes simultaneously. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember it being like that explicit or anything yeah. in, the, in the book, but I don't know. I, I only read it once, and I don't remember it. But I do remember that line jumping out to me even before I listened to the Hold Steady. Well, it is a great line, and it's the opening line to the album, right? Yeah, he says, There are nights when I think Sal Paradise was right. Boys and girls in America have such a sad time together from Stuck Between Stations, which I think is one of my favorite side one track ones. I would say so, yeah. It's a great opening song. It pretty much encompasses everything you're going to hear on the album in a pretty perfect way. Right. I think it musically opens up with kind of that, it feels like a little bit fast-paced, upbeat. Yeah, anthemic. So before we go track by track, let's give a little bit more overall takes on the album. Magnet and AV Club both named it the best album of 2006. Pitchfork scored the album 9.4 out of 10. Wow. Wow was very well received yeah, critically, critically acclaimed and respected <laughs> well that's the thing is that line in suck between stations where he's talking about john berryman who's a real person who was a real person okay but is it meta is he talking about the band and himself well could people be. have thought that they're using john berryman as like an avatar because john Bar- we'll get into john Some berryman later but lines in the song are tied around john berryman yeah, and they're mostly true, but they also correlate to the band and to the way that the band writes songs and what the songs are about and everything. But we'll, we'll circle back to that. With their first three albums, they establish this kind of cult following. They're critically acclaimed. They get that best bar band moniker, which they wear proudly, but sometimes ironically, because certainly musically they project a bar band style, yeah, especially yeah. once they incorporate the piano more and more. But... I think they're much more literary than your typical barman. Well, There's true. a whole concept going on. Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is sort of like their relationship with booze and yes. their music. And certainly like a lot of the songs almost seems like it's like glorifying like partying and drinking, but then also showing like the dark underbelly of that life. Certainly there's a romanticism to these characters and to the way they live, but I do think that there's the balance of the hard truth to it For and sure. the reality of it, and the sadness to it. So I think it does a good job of walking that line of glorification versus reality. And in a way, because these songs are the voice of the overlooked and ignored and all of those people that you kind of look down upon... I do think that by romanticizing their lives, that's giving those people, those characters, credit. It's giving them something. Because I do think that often these characters in the songs and what these songs are about are things that have nothing and are generally shit upon by society. So (laughs) in a way, by giving them that bonus, by being like, hey, here are the beautiful losers. Right. And making it seem I would be like, at least they're beautiful. The opposite, or I guess just the latter part, more relatable for me. And I do think that the comparisons to Springsteen are fair. 
Sure. Often compared to like a a Midwest version of Springsteen. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think like working class heroes. Yeah, and I, I think the arc of the first three albums is actually very similar. <laughs> okay. Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey is comparable to Almost Killed Me. There's a lot going on, just cramming right. it full of lyrics. Yes. What is this? Almost Who are these people? Too many syllables to fit into one line. And then Separation Sunday, which is basically a concept album, is somewhat comparable to The Wild, The Innocent, and The Street Shuffle, taking the ideas of the first album, expanding upon them, making them bigger, longer, whatever. And then the third album, Boys and Girls in America, is they're born to run it's the distillation of everything they've been trying to do but in a more palatable for the masses kind of way the songs have choruses they're much more catchier and yeah i was gonna say a lot of the songs are more well produced (laughs) so it's like they've come into their own and i do think that we could have easily done an episode on one of their first two records and there's a lot to take from those because those are dense with lyrics and dense with characters but this is the right mixture of pop sensibility with what they were already doing and i probably would have had to do more homework because i'm not as versed in almost killed me or separation sunday i mean i certainly know five or six songs from each of them but i I haven't you know lifetime have not put much effort into those albums like end to end yeah i think that those albums are easier to process if you have time to listen to the whole thing because like we mentioned, they're not necessarily as catchy. I do think yeah, that I Separation Sunday has a has a lot of fun songs right. that are memorable. Often referencing the Little Hood Rat Friend. Right. And that's a song that is more indicative of what would come later in their career because of the verse chorus, first chorus structure. But yeah, I think Boys and Girls is the right album for us to do because for people who might be listening that haven't listened to the whole study before, it's a great place to start oh yeah and you can decide if you want to take it deeper (laughs) i think for people like first listen on the hold steady it takes a little bit of an adjustment to get used to his voice he definitely has a very distinct voice and a lot of times it's not like he's singing you know yeah he's definitely singing more on this album than the first two but yeah there's a very sing speak style at times right but I i will say i mean you can listen to it the first time and i to me i think you're going to have lines that just jump out at you. You're just going to be like, that is a great line. Yeah, a lot of clever wordplay. I think of this album as the conclusion of a trilogy of albums. Now, a lot of the aesthetic, even some of the characters, continue on past this album, but this feels like a period at the end of a sentence that started with Almost Killed Me. And the odd thing is, the characters from the first two albums, especially Separation Sunday, where it's very much a concept album focusing okay, on yeah. the three main characters. They aren't even really referenced on Boys and Girls in America that much. Almost maybe once a piece, except maybe Charlemagne's mentioned twice. Yeah, but I, I feel like Charlemagne comes up a couple times. They're much more involved in album two. I think by introducing those characters and the setting and the ideas all in the first two albums, you don't even need to mention them in the third because for the people who have been with the band, they they're there. They understand where we are and who we're talking about. Gotcha. And for the people who weren't there, then it makes the songs more relatable because then you can project your own life onto them rather than worrying about who Holly is or Charlemagne or Gideon or whatever. Right. So what the whole study is all about lyrically are these interconnected stories. They use a lot of biblical allusions and references. They self-reference 
a lot. There's a lot of wordplay and puns. Yeah. Clever lines. And the early work primarily focuses on three main characters, although there are some peripheral characters. In fact, I think one of the peripheral characters is not named but introduced on Boys and Girls in America and then will be more prominently featured in later songs. But the main three are Hallelujah, a.k.a. Holly, who's this addict, prostitute, sometimes born-again Christian. (laughs) I think (laughs) that archetype of a character is so recognizable. Right, right. Especially people of our age, (laughs) where there's like the evangelical boom in the 90s and the Christian conservatives and all these people, and these there would always be these guys and girls, but it's so much easier to to single out girls for some reason. We talked about like the role (laughs) booze plays and like these songs and their themes, certainly religion up there as well. Oh, I feel like almost every song mentions drinking and or religion, (laughs) you know? Yeah, there's a a lot of uh, Catholic imagery a lot of catholic guilt a lot of weighing the sinner saint mentality which hallelujah is the perfect character because she just seemingly is this lost girl walking a line and can be pushed on either side of that line very easily oh yeah (laughs) and then there's charlemagne who seems to be her pimp maybe or a pimp also a drug dealer yeah quite a name too charlemagne yeah, I think the names are all in reference to different things. Hallelujah, a.k.a. Holly's pretty straightforward. Charlemagne, I'm not entirely sure. I forget. And then Gideon is a very biblical name. But the whole story with Charlemagne is almost told in just random order because they're already referencing people asking about what happened to Charlemagne on the first album. But you're not really sure when this supposed event happens and they're still talking about it possibly as late as the album after boys and girls in America stay positive because there's seemingly a trial that you can tie to what happens to him. And it's like he was either stabbed or he wasn't (laughs) depending on who's talking and no one's really quite sure on what happened. And the mythology of that where gossip and innuendo and rumor comes into it between these characters is almost Game of Thrones-esque where you don't know who to believe. It's like if Game of Thrones all took place in like one tavern. That's what it feels like. (laughs) People talking about someone who was stabbed and then you find out later like, well, maybe they weren't stabbed. I don't know. (laughs) And then there's Gideon who's a skinhead and seems like an all-around bad dude. He's referenced more as like a boogeyman that overhangs everything like is in the background you never really learn too much about him and these characters make up a lot of the second album leading into boys and girls in america and then are always kind of omnipresent they're always there right and you don't know when he says he or she in a song it could be talking about these people maybe it isn't (laughs) who knows But I think it's important to have that base before you jump into album three. Oh, true. Even though they're not mentioned that much on album three. Yeah. It is weird because, like, the songs kind of go on and you'll just hear one of the names, like, pop up. Mm -hmm. But I remember talking to you years ago, and and I feel like you said – we were talking about them, like, doing a Broadway play or something, a Broadway musical on Green Day. Maybe it was for American Idiot. Right. Did that happen? Yes. Okay. But you were talking about how, like – Something like that could have been done with like the Hold Steady songs because they had wow, all these characters. Wow, I don't characters. remember ever saying that. Yeah. I'm, I'm impressed with myself. Yeah, way to go. <laughs> Kudos to me for remembering. Certainly the way all these little details get released over the course of the Hold Steady's career, all these different songs, like you could piece them all together and put together a story. Like There's a very novelistic approach to these albums where there's a lot of little details 
and you feel like you understand the setting and you understand the characters and it's just an interesting way to have a story delivered to you because it's not linear and three or four tracks might go by before you even find out like the next little tidbit about the character you're thinking about because then there's all this other stuff in there. Now, I'll also say, too, I mean, it is really cool that they weave all of this stuff into their songwriting, but you can certainly listen to this album and enjoy it without knowing what the fuck is going on with these characters. Yeah, you don't need to have listened to Almost Killed Me and Separation Sunday to appreciate Boys and Girls in America, but if you have experienced all three, then you are much more aware of the references and the landmarks and the ideas and the themes within the album. It's like a Kevin Smith movie, you know? Sure. There's definitely comparisons to any type of shared universe. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> so let's go into the album itself a little bit. It starts with Stuck Between Stations. Like I said, one of my favorite track ones. And I think possibly among my top 10 most played songs in uh, my life. Yeah, I, I would. it's up there for me as well. It's hard to judge that. It, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I would judge it based off of... Is it usually on whatever music device that I own? And if it comes up on shuffle, do I skip it or do I play it? And this is oftentimes a play for me. And I skip a lot. So the song works as sort of a an introduction, a declaration, a summation of what you're going to hear. As we alluded to earlier, they talk about a guy named John Berryman, who was a poet who lived in the 20th century. <laughs> which is last century. And oh, wow, okay, for those keeping track at home. Is a University of Minnesota guy, published some books. I think he may have taught there, I don't know, committed suicide I think in the 70s, something like that. His most famous thing that he published was something called The Dream Songs or something like that. This kind of seems like it would be like an episode of Drunk History. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I'm trying to go by what I briefly learned about this guy. Okay. But I was fascinated by this idea because this thing called the Dream Songs is very similar to what the Hold Steady do, which is there's all these different characters. The point of view will change all the time. Sometimes you can't even tell what the point of view is. And it really only makes sense when you take in like everything all together. Like you can't just like pick and choose from John Berryman's career. It's all like pieced together. It just felt very similar to what they were doing with the Charlemagne hallelujah and gideon characters and of course (laughs) there are the parallels i mentioned about the critically acclaimed and respected but drunk and exhausted yeah right Uh, this song to me is just filled with memorable lines yeah but so what's the whole thing of there are nights when you know john berryman (laughs) about how he couldn't fly they're referencing his suicide okay he jumped from the bridge gotcha right there and and he couldn't so he died yeah, and the line is, she said, you're pretty good with words, but words won't save your life, which is alluded to later in First Night when yep. Hallelujah says, words alone can never save us. Right. But it's also, there's a, oh God, I wish I would have written it down, but the whole thing of like, he thought that he could fly, but he didn't, so he died, is that's like an allusion to another band. I don't know, everything is like very pieced together. It definitely reminds me of my brief stint attempting to be an english lit major instead of an english writing major because there's all these allusions to things was your voyage to become an english lit major filled with many days watching mike and mike in the morning (laughs) listening to 
Well, yeah, and once you realize that you have like four classes that all expect you to read 200 pages each between Tuesday and then the next time you meet on Thursday, and it's like, well, every class is like this. How am I ever going to read all of this? And you just can't do it. (laughs) But anyway, it's just a very rich text, all of the Hold Steady songs. They're just filled with all of these different things, and most of which probably go right by most people's heads, and it isn't until you become like a super fan and you're like breaking it all down like what does every single thing mean what is every reference i don't know but we get the mississippi river which is a frequent location that pops up oh yeah in well, songs. outside of the characters he does reference the same places over and over pensacola florida for sure yeah, I think Ivor City is like a suburb. Well, not a suburb, but it's like uh, a section of Tampa. It's like a popular area in Tampa. It's like a very the nightclub area. Yeah, right. yeah, but a lot of it takes place in Minnesota, which is the hometown of the band. A lot of this album, in particular, does. Like, I think he mentions multiple malls on this album, and they're all real, and they're all in Minnesota. Oh, gotcha. Things like that. But like I said, this kind of is the indication of where the album is going to head because there's a generalization to the lyrics which is very different from how the first two albums kick off, where it's almost like you're thinking, who the fuck are they talking about? What is this? Who are these people? And this feels much more like a normal song that you could project yourself onto. Well, there's times when I'm listening to The Hold Steady where I I almost get a vibe that it's taking place like further back in time as well. I mean, that might not be right, but I just feel like... Uh, Yeah, I get what you mean. Almost like Last Picture Show era. Oh, no, 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 not that old. I just thought you meant like a few years Well, back. definitely like a lot of stuff seems like the 80s. Yeah, I do think that there's stuff lifted from their lives. And like yeah. we mentioned, they were older by the yeah, time I, they I got started with the whole study. I specifically mean stuff with, with the characters, but more just like this feel of small town Midwestern America yeah in certain songs on stay positive although a lot of those places probably didn't change much well, over the true. decades yeah. <laughs> they're probably pretty similar in the 90s and stuff than they were in the 60s it's true <laughs> i yeah i don't know i do know that a few of the songs over the course of the band's time reference more modern things like texting or oh, yeah. things like that but yeah a lot of it is frozen in seemingly a different time i think that's probably because Craig Finn is writing lyrics about himself, but a lot of this stuff happened when he was younger. True. And so that leads us into our next song, Chips Ahoy, where he says, how am I supposed to know that you're high if you won't let me touch you? How am I supposed to know that you're high if you won't even dance? And he says that those are two things that he actually said to two different girlfriends in his life. So yeah, I mean, he is pulling things from his life, but I'm imagining this stuff happening to him like at least a decade or so prior. Well, certainly if booze and religion are two recurring themes in the songs, also bad relationships... Yeah. I love the line in Stuck Between Stations where he says she was a pretty good dancer, but she wasn't all that great of a girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, relatable? (laughs) Come on. So in Chips Ahoy, this was the first single, which is kind of strange because it's one of the more harder songs to really interpret if you're not familiar with the Hold Steady at all. Like, if this is your introduction and you're listening to this, not that you couldn't get into this song because it's a fun, catchy song. But it's so strange that this would be your first single. You know? I agree with that. And I also think on the catchiness scale for me, it's not in the top five or six on the album. So the song is mostly about 
a guy and a girl and a horse named Chips Ahoy. But the girl has these visions or premonitions where she can tell which horse is going to win the race. And they exploit this for money, but the money leads to more problems because they seem to have some substance abuse issues. Yeah, doing drugs issues with, the, with the winnings. A lot of lack of trust between the two. And this is the... Like a- Shasta Fay type relationship. <laughs> well, this is the character that I was referencing that gets introduced on this album that comes up later. And it's a character that most people think is, <laughs> I mean, people that are into this, <laughs> into the whole city lore. A dense population. They think it's Sapphire, who will be mentioned more by name on the following album, Stay Positive. Because gotcha. a song called Yes, Sapphire. Right. There's a few other references to her later in other tracks. And I guess Craig Finn confirmed that in his mind, Sapphire and, and Hallelujah are not the same person. So this is like a different girl. But there's no mention of her name in Chips Ahoy or the sequel to this song, The Weekenders. Oh, yeah, which is which appears what, two on albums later? Heaven is Whenever. Right. And seems to be more of like the fallout, like what happened to these two. It seems like things really fell apart and got weird. <laughs> But they don't mention her by name in that song either, so whether or not this is actually Sapphire is kind of up for debate, but it seems like it probably is. I feel like if you're listening to this and you've never listened to the Hold Steady at all, you'd be like, man, this sounds like overwhelming to get into. It is, but it's just like anything. Right. That'd be like if you were having a a Game of Thrones discussion out of context or any dense thing. I would definitely recommend listening to some of the Hold Steady if you want to listen to us talk about it this might out of all the things we've done this recommendation midway through the app this might be the most hard to get through for people that aren't familiar with the source material <laughs> including twin peaks the return yes so we'll speed it up a little bit hot soft light is track three and craig finn describes it as a song about getting busted seems fairly straightforward to me yeah not really one of my favorite songs on the album. No, some of these ones around the middle, like, I start to get every other where I'm like, I really like it, can kind of throw it away. Like, I'm not like, this one, uh, is it Same Kooks? I'm not really Yeah, that's the next track yeah. where Gideon makes his first appearance. It seems to be about psychoactive drugs. They're fun. They're fine. True. They, and they are catchy and upbeat. They fit the tone of the album. The next three, though, are real strong, in my yeah. opinion. Track five is First Night, which I is love this song. certainly a companion piece to Stuck Between Stations. Yeah, well, he starts repeating the Boys and Girls in America line in it. Yeah, and there's all that whole, like, clicks and hisses, which seems to be, like, a double entendre of kissing, but also the noises when your wire is tapped on your phone and oh, those noises. Yeah. It's very, like, paranoia-based. But this is the check-in with the gang. True. Holly... Giddy and Charlemagne all make an appearance in First Night. This seems to be about Holly. And the first night we met Holly is referenced in a song on their first album, Barfruit Blues. Right. Where they talk about meeting her essentially through another person. They're like, I know this girl, but her friend Holly is making a scene at this bar or whatever. And then she's introduced into our lives. Well, I also always feel like this song works outside of the story and what's going on. Really that feeling of meeting someone for the first time, especially like in a bar type environment. Yeah. And he's using the metaphor of getting high, which is something that Holly almost understands instinctually. She's never going to feel like she felt the first time. Right. 
And it's like you're never gonna feel the same about Holly than you did that first night. I know. Because then all of a so sudden you, you know all of this bad shit about her. It's a song about chasing a high that you're never gonna get, and yet Holly, who seems I know, you're never really sure how smart she is, but she seems somewhat self-aware in this song. This one and certainly Citrus, which we'll get to, are two for me that like really tapped into an emotion for me. Yeah. In that like mid 20s period of my life. And it's funny too because Citrus, which I think is a great song, seems like it was just thrown together. Yeah. But it has great lines in it. Right. This song, before we jump off of it, is the most melancholy, but also because of the ending, it builds and builds and builds. It's very epic. And I just, oh, you couldn't really picture this song on their first two albums. Yeah, it's like a it, step forward musically. For sure. That's what I was going to say. It seems like they're trying to do a little bit more with it instrumentally than they're doing on a lot of other tracks. Yeah. Track six, I'm not entirely sure even what the fuck the song is referencing. I don't really know what a party pit is, but it's called oh, Party right. Pit. And my one note really is, it's a fucking jam. It is a rocker. It's so yeah. catchy. This is one that was, I, I think, overlooked by me for years. I didn't really listen to it a ton. But getting ready for this episode, yeah. I've kind of like fallen back in love with this one. Yeah, it's a song that I always like it, but you always forget about it for some reason. And every time I listen to it, it's definitely like the underrated track on the album. And the refrain at the end, gonna walk around and drink some more. Yes, yes. Almost just summarizes the whole study and their whole like oeuvre in general is gonna walk around and drink some more <laughs> yeah well i can certainly relate to that I, I don't really know it seems like potentially something traumatic happened at this place that they're calling the party pit because she said yeah, something get about getting vibe. pinned down right. at the party and I'm just i was like, always like picturing like a trampling or something you know <laughs> but what is a party pit i I'm don't not know entirely sure what what that even means and I couldn't really find anything definitive it's like in at, my sources. It's um, like when they have an event like Millvale Days or something, <laughs> and they rope off an area where people can drink, you know? <laughs> I was thinking a little less formal, like a place in the woods or something. or Yeah, it could be. I don't know. And then the next track I feel like is a fan favorite for sure. It seems like they play it live a lot and have since it came out, which is You Can Make Them Like You. It's a straightforward, shitty druggy relationship song it's super catchy but there's a certain this is the you don't have to deal with the dealers yeah there's a yeah there's a certain poetry to the lyrics you can wear his old sweatshirt you can cover yourself like a bruise it's basically about a girl who is in this dead-end relationship with a shitty guy but she thinks that's all she deserves like that kind of a thing oh yeah that's the vibe i'm getting from it and how she will use being attractive or being slutty to make the next guy like her too. Well, yeah, I mean, and I, how it's just a cycle of. I made the joke earlier, but it does sort of feel like there are some Doc Shasta Fay type relationships going on here, you know? <laughs> I like how our way of explaining something that's pretty unknown to most people is to then reference something that's equally as unknown. People are like, Everyone oh, yeah. No inherent vice? <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the inherent vice reference. That really brought it home for me well i do feel like that's one of the movies that we're constantly like subtly pushing on this show that <laughs> preparing everyone for when we do like a four-hour episode <laughs> on it yeah. buckle up <laughs> the next track i feel like is probably one of the more popular songs on the album based on just my brief interactions with hold steady fan stuff and 
I don't really care for it that much. It's called Massive Nights. Yes. I, I just think it's like too... In your I don't face? Know, it's not bad, but it's a, it's like a goofy song. I don't know. Yeah. Where he's literally just repeating we had some Massive Nights, right? Yeah, and it's basically a song about how not every night in this universe he's created is the worst night ever. It's like sometimes things go well. Yeah, but we don't want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, he calls it our prom song, Craig Finn does. I'm not really sure what even what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here we are, Citrus. I know Matt loves this song. Oh, yeah. For me, just driving around. And, I mean, you want to talk about a uh, lyric that really spoke to me at a certain point in my life. Hey, barroom. Hey, tavern. I find hope in all the souls you gather. Uh-huh. I, I mean, come on. That was like the only hope I could cling to at a certain point. <laughs> it's a simple acoustic ditty, simple lyrics. The big thing, the big takeaway for me is that it's self-referential to an earlier song, which many of their songs are. Yep. And these are the fun little nuggets to pick out as fans that get interested in their lyrics and what the songs mean and all these different things. And in the song Hostile Mass... He says, quote, they met as kids. He was angry and angsty. She was a damned good dancer, which is also referenced in Stuck Between Stations. I'll be damned if they didn't disappear, wandered out of mass one day and faded into the fog and love and faithless fear. And then in Citrus, lost in fog and love and faithless fear. I've had kisses that make Judas seem sincere. Haven't we all? Yeah. That, that almost feels like an emo line a little bit. This but. is probably the most emo track because yeah. certainly in that 2006 range, all of those popular emo bands were putting on like their one acoustic song or whatever, <laughs> you know. True. Yeah, I, there's not like a whole lot to take from the song, but sometimes the simplicity of it is a good change up for the rest of the album. There isn't a ton of lyrics to Citrus, whereas a lot of hold steady songs it's like just paragraphs of words because he's saying so much i was trying to remember what songs they played at the show we went to did this make the set list i I don't remember it's it's hard to say because i also feel like you've spent a lot of time before the show going over songs that they had recently played (laughs) which Which i I always do that (laughs) so now i'm like i can't remember if which ones were actually i'm sure we could look it up that's true but it's not that important no Track 10, Chill Out Tent. Which I I like this song. I do too, because it's such a self-contained idea. It doesn't really reference any of their pre-established characters or anything. It's just this concept song. It's a bittersweet, one-night-only romance between two kids at a music festival taking place as both OD and are taken to the Chill Out Tent to recover. That's kind of dark, but... Yeah. It it, seems like they possibly have sex under the blankets. It features female vocals in the foreground we've had some backup vocals right on the album but i was looking at who this was this elizabeth elmore from a band called the reputation right and i was reading about her and she like i'm assuming quit her band but she went on to become a lawyer which almost seems like a hold steady character (laughs) like (laughs) was a chick singing in a punk rock band and like left that lifestyle to become a lawyer she's practicing law After blowing all the dudes. That's right. In the chill out tent. <laughs> at a chill out tent. <laughs> at Millvale days. <laughs> I was thinking I was trying to think of some punk band that they could have been at. You know, I'm like at a bad religion show. You're like at Millvale days. <laughs> at really an Atari show. Grim as possible. 
<laughs> yeah, and the the dude vocals is Dave Perner from Soul Asylum. Wow, that's a weird appearance. Yeah. He, well, they're a Minnesota band. Oh, okay. I guess that makes a little more sense. Craig Finn does the omnipresent narrator setting the scene of these two kids, and then we get some first-person vocals from each of those two yeah. adding in. and I don't know. It's just kind of a fun meetup between two people that yeah. admittedly in the song say they never see each other again. And it feels like a little bit more experimental it feels like he's kind of going outside of his usual presentation of a song for this one. Yeah. And the album closes with Southtown Girls. Just an anthem, I would say. Certainly an anthem. I don't dig it as much as some of their other anthem endings. Like, Almost Killed Me is perfect. Yes. That's and probably the best one. The last song on Separation Sunday, How a Resurrection Really Feels, is like, oh, true. you can't get more epic than that. And this seems almost like a computer. You entered all of the Hold Steady things and were like, give us what you think a Hold Steady <laughs> anthem should be. And it's just like, it feels almost a little more generic. Although, saying that, I do like the song. I, I just think that. it's a yeah. little less no, than... No, I agree with everything you're saying there. The other two. It, it, it never quite sticks with me, but when I'm listening to it, I, I can kind of Even the it. last track of Stay Positive, Slapped Actress, is like oh, yeah. way more epic than this one for me. But this is still a good song. It's a song about setting. The lyrics are directions all over Minneapolis. It seems like it's referencing some sort of a drug deal, trying to go down and making that happen, the ins and outs. And yet the chorus is about Southtown Girls, which I'm not really sure how they all relate together. But I think the yeah. idea is you would take something that's not quite as good, but it's easier to deal right. with than something that is potentially great but the difficulty level is higher so it's tying that in with the drug deal and then the idea like the of same idea. settling for a Southtown girl yeah which is kind of a which, beat down on Southtown girls true, I guess and just like a sad statement I mean Southtown girls won't blow you away but you know that they'll stay right so it's like taking the comfort of simplicity versus the risk of something better yeah which is just which isn't really the most woke way to talk about women but like you get it in the sense that he's not really talking about women but he's using that as a metaphor for life in general and if you've been down some hard roads you can understand a decision like this (laughs) yeah so that's all the songs on the album i think that as a band they put out five well they put out four really strong albums and a fifth strong album yeah and then after that, they've only released one after that, and then a bunch of singles. I think they have oh, a, really? a forthcoming okay. album So wait, soon. after Heaven Is Whenever, they only did one more? I think, yeah. Oh, wow. Teeth Dreams. Okay. And then they've released followed. a bunch of individual songs lately, like in the last two years. When he did a solo album, right, Craig Finn? Yeah, at least one. Okay. Maybe two. That really wasn't that good either. In I have opinion. not been keeping up. Yeah, I think there is a limit. And I think that's something you learn as you go. With the exception of maybe the greatest bands of all time, <laughs> like maybe the Beatles and the Rolling Stones or whoever, you know, if you could maybe say like Zeppelin or The Who or Bruce Springsteen or whoever, besides like the all time, all time greats, what bands or musicians put out more than five good albums? Yeah, it's tough. Most only do one good album, some maybe two or three. If you can get four or five pretty strong albums that your fans all really adore, that's pretty good. And, I mean, expecting more from that is 
kind of insane when you actually look at what every other band ever well, has done. And the Hold Steady kind of built on their original sound and improved and changed, but they've stayed pretty true to what they were originally trying to do. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of bands kind of get into this thing where they have a good album, they have a degree of success, and they want to try all this different shit, and it's like they're never really able to yeah get it going you know again. like fucking radiohead trying to convince people that whatever the moon-shaped pool or whatever those stupid albums are, are better yeah. than like what they were doing in the n- late 90s early 2000s right. it's like get, go fuck yourself but at least radiohead <laughs> ha- has like a lot of great albums yeah i know but what you're saying is that yeah. the whole study never tried to trick us into thinking well, that something true. new that they're doing is better than right. something that they used to <laughs> we do we ain't buying it and I like Craig Finn's honest take, and he basically, even after other albums came out, was like, Boys and Girls in America is the best album that we've done. And you rarely see that, because usually they'll just say whatever the newest thing is yeah. is the best, and it's that's certainly... always a lie. <laughs> it's always a lie. Yeah. Boys and Girls in America, I-, I do think it captures everything that they're trying to do, but also every song is pretty good. I mean, you can pretty much listen to the album straight through and in most of the songs are, are pretty strong i like that you keep looking up at my awesome i know it is awesome. two-piece hold steady boys and girls in america tour poster that took me forever to get yeah for inspiration that might be my favorite piece of merch that you own <laughs> and that's saying something yeah because you have some good pieces <laughs> that took me i don't know like a year of so, or so of trying to track one down it's definitely between that and the the twin peaks one that you have yeah. And maybe the girls wearing the DTF sweatpants on the Spring Breakers poster around James Franco. <laughs> well, that's just piano. like a poster anybody could get yeah, for like $8. <laughs> but that is a great poster. All right. So that'll do it for episode three of On the Record. I think we will try to do a fourth one. Yeah, maybe we'll be back sometime, sometime in the fall, probably. Yeah. Maybe in September or something. We're not abandoning this, but we do have a lot of other stuff to get to. So On the Record isn't really a priority. No, but... We'll sneak one in every now and then. Yeah. All right. So follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And thank you for listening. I guess I met her at the party pit. She said those kids she's with were selling it. So we sailed off on some separate trips. She got pinned down at the party pit. Shopping mall Sell away on such separate trips And she got bent down at the party pit Sell away on such separate trips And she got bent down at the party pit And I came back to start a band, of course I saw her walking through the crystal court She made a scene by the revolving door Gonna walk around and drink some more. So we walked across that grain belt bridge into bright new Minneapolis. She said, I think that all those things I did were just momentum from the party pit. Sailed away on such separate trips and she got pinned down at the party pit. Separate trips, she got pinned down at the party pit. Sell away on such 
separate trips She got pinned down at the party pit Saturday on such separate trips And she got bent down I'm pretty sure we kissed Producer Bob Morton. Yeah, it says five years ago, Morty left the Letterman show and moved to Texas because there was too much pressure. He bought, a s <laughs> he bought a small house with a front porch and 400 acres, and he planned to rock his life away. He rocked for three weeks, and then one day, smoke started coming at him. It got closer and closer, and it was a cowboy on horseback. Cowboy got off the horse and said, are you Robert Morton? And Morty said, yes. <laughs> He said, welcome to the neighborhood. I know it's not exactly a neighborhood. I live 40 miles from here. But if you're interested, tomorrow night, I'm throwing a welcome to the neighborhood bash. There's going to be a lot of barbecue, some <laughs> drinking, some dancing, and some wild sex. Uh -huh. Would you like to come? And Morty said, sure, but what should I wear? And the cowboy said, it doesn't make any difference. It's just going to be the two of us. LAUGHTER 